This is Quinnipiac University's own 98.1 FM WQAQ. The only station you need for the best music, sports, and talk. The new WQAQ. Like Megan, brother. 2021 ain't taking no prisoner. Last year, y'all fed up all the listener. Who went platinum? I call that a visitor. Who the backing them? All been falsified. The facts mean this is a vaccine and the game need me to survive. The Elohim, the rebirth. Before you get to the father, you gotta holler at me first. Smoking on top fives. Mother that album, that single. Burn that hard drive. Ain't nobody safe when I come, I'm killing everybody that's outside. Who you with? Yeah, Kanye changed his life, but me, I'm still an old school Gemini. Let me jump in this. Let me jump in this. Phones, but I only bring one in this. One daughter, but they all my sons in this. No, ain't getting done in this. I'm scary, I got a gun in this. Smoking on top fives. Stop playing, I'm that guy. Number two DM in my bitch. That's cool, I don't ask why. Wow. What year is it that we're opening up to Kendrick Lamar on the show? I don't know. It's uh, it's 2021, so. <laughs> 2021, we're opening up to Kendrick Lamar. Hey, can I add another, num- another number real quick to that? Yeah. $9.38. You know why I say $9.38, Jack? <laughs> I, have to, I have to guess that that's like your meal plan. Correct. That's how much money I have in my meal plan as of today. Uh, I had to go get the you know dinner before I went to my job tonight at uh, the sushi place, and uh now we're left at nine dollars and thirty-eight cents. So I, I'm through. I burned my commuter meal plan two weeks ago, and uh, what I ended up doing was throwing five hundred Q cash on my Q card. I probably will end up doing the same thing. It was on. It honestly, this now gives me because I probably average about a meal a day on campus. Yeah, breakfast at the crib, dinner at the crib, lunch on campus makes sense, right? I spend the middle of my day on campus. Yeah. Um, and this is the one downside of living off campus is that you have to, you know, you have to really meal prep. Right. And unless you're, unless you're, you know, a sav, a savvy in the kitchen, which Eric Kerr is not, I can tell you some stories later independently <laughs> off, the, uh, off the radio waves. Well, I, I can at least uh, make some breakfast for myself you and can. I, I pack a lunch. You did. You made, you made yourself a bomb bacon, egg and cheese. You know, they made the apartment smell all nice and, yeah. you know, like. For once. Yeah. There was one time that the, that the apartment did smell pretty solid. Can I, can I just say if. You know that your meal plan is dwindling quickly. Yeah. And it's approaching the single digits of dollars left. Mm-hmm. Whole dollars. Um, going to sushi, man. That's a that's that, a, that's a tough, tough play. Move. That's a tough move. Well, you can be time moves in double digits. When, when, so when, yeah, but when but then you when get you the walk sushi in the, and when you walk in the sushi place, you know you are spending ten bucks, ten dollars minimum. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, too, is, like, the, the meal plan doesn't really offer a lot of, like... You gotta be frugal, dude. It doesn't offer a lot of cheap <laughs> uh, meal options that will fill me up for the night when I'm gonna be spending, you know, six-plus on hours here at the school until 12 o'clock at night when I have to close up the doors in the school business, so... I mean, yeah, granted, like, it, you know, it's tough to, you know, really meal prep at that point. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. I could, like, pack some leftovers and heat them up in the... The microwave that we have in the uh, in the uh, media suite now, uh, courtesy of uh, Matthew Jaronsik. You so. have your you have your hand on your head. A little foreshadowing of what we're going to be talking about on this episode. Yeah, Raphael uh-huh. Devers just hit a three run homer. Oh baby! Nice. Oh baby! That's nice. Oh yeah. Okay. So disclaimer <laughs> and with that. <laughs> disclaimer. <laughs> disclaimer, everybody. We um yeah we're 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 broadcasting in the middle of. Uh, decisive Red Sox Rays game right now, and ideally, potentially decisive. Potentially decisive. I, it's a must-win for Tampa Bay, and Boston sure as hell doesn't want to go back down to Florida to play a must-win game five. So it's kind of a must-win for both teams. I would call it a decisive game, but the matter of the fact is, is that you know the the schedule falls as it falls. We wanted to be on the air tonight because we missed last week. Shout out the QU variant. Um, and then <laughs> is and, that the working title for it? Yeah, I, I mean, I heard hot, the QU flu on a, on TikTok the somewhere. Q flu, so the, Q the Q flu, the Q flu, or the QU flu. Yeah, I mean, Hockton was the guy that dubbed it the QU variant. Okay. So, I, and Hockton, Hockton has a lot of pull uh, in the in the Quinnipiac community. He does. So. He, does. Uh, he calls it the QU variant. I call it the QU variant because I like Hockton. He, he, you know, he's got that poetic poetic version of him. But anyway, yes, we are talking about. Red Sox baseball tonight. We are talking majority Major League Baseball. Uh, it, it is a bummer that we have to broadcast during the game. However, it does give us a little chance to do a little live reaction, as you just heard on air. That was From a you. that was a raw. Let's go, 
and I, we're gonna get into last night, but uh, to put a to put a bow on the uh, to put a bow on the Rafi, on the oh, the meal plan. I am I am all focused on Red Sox baseball right now. <laughs> to put a bow on the meal plan, uh, Jacob, do you you gotta you gotta tell me right now if you were to live off campus. Would you be a majority like frozen meal microwave guy? Living off campus, that's a extreme hypothetical. <laughs> um, extreme frozen, um, probably. Um, Wait, that's you, just my wave. I mean, you live in New York City. You're from New York City, yep. and you did drop to me uh, a couple of weeks ago that you do do a lot of like preheat dinners, right? Uh, yeah. I'm actually, so what we did, my family started doing last in the spring semester while I was away is they started ordering one of those uh, meal kit services oh, like, where uh, they bring the box at the start of the week. They have three meals. Hello Fresh. Hello That's Fresh. Yes. Uh, uh, Blue Apron's another one. Um, Green Chef, I think, is the other one that we were trying. Um, and you, at the beginning of the week or the week before, you pick three or four meals. They bring you a box on Tuesday. Has the each bag has all the stuff you need. You put it in the fridge, and then you take it out each night. What you need, and then you. Uh, so it's not it's not reheating. It's it's making the food, but they have it all there for you, which is a great deal, great bang for your buck. Um, so that that might be an option if if I were to live off campus. It's a pretty good value. That um, you know what? But you know, frozen is. Oh my goodness! Here we go off the monster. All right. Anyway, okay. we yeah. need to. We'll, 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 we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So okay. So a frozen. So like the pre the pre prep meals. I just, I just don't have a ton of time. None of us have a time. I, I know. I just. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we we live in college. Listen, the college experience. My, our parents all went through it. You know, the college experience is you struggle in your early to mid twenties, and then you settle down and you figure out what life is. You figure out how to how to mow a lawn and. How to take the trash out to the curb and you know paint the picket fence and things like that once you once you settle down. But you know right now it's yeah you hustle and bustle while you have the metabolism to be able to eat the frozen meals and eat the eat the fast food. That's you know kind of what you got to do. But yeah. add some money to your damn cue card. I God. will. I will definitely do it. I again as you <laughs> mentioned the hustle and bustle. I'm always so busy. I haven't had a free sa- second to sit down and do it. But yeah. I will tonight after the show. I definitely will. Right. Will add some much needed money and funds because. We all are on campus a lot. We all are around here a lot, so we need it. Uh, you know, at least for me, I need it to be in my actual cue card. So, all right, boys and girls, we got way too much to get to tonight. Let's start the show. You're listening to the Mac and Main Show. On 98.1 WQAQ. The soundtrack of Quinnipiac. Is this the tagger? There, Rafael Devers, who singled his first time. Attacks the first pitch, hits it a ton. Straight away, center field. Gone! Joe Davis is so good. Oh. Need a moment over what a what a call! All right, so uh, we're gonna get into uh, our favorite broadcasters, national broadcasters, of course, uh, later in the show. But that was the Rafael Devers homer that happened while we were cold opening on the show. So, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned in to ninety-eight point one WQAQ. This soundtrack of Quinnipiac. This is the Mac and Main Show, the number one show right here on the campus of Quinnipiac University. Jack Main, Eric Kerr checking into the booth, fifth week, and special guest this evening, SNY contributor Jacob Resnick. Yo, yo, yo. How's it going? It's really great to have you back on the show. It's been almost two years since yep. you've been on the program. You were on, I believe, the last time we were in studio before we were sent home. You were on the program. Uh, you, Will Fowler, myself, and Steve McAvoy did a little Red Sox-Yankees-Mets trivia that was a ton of fun, and then we had you on the uh, the pre-recorded podcast. Once after that, you were completely distracted the entire time <laughs> while we were recording. Uh, you were sitting in your bedroom. Uh, we were all sitting in our bedrooms, you know, and on quarantine, bored AF, but we were like, let's just shoot a podcast, right? But So you're back on the program. It's been a minute. We're super excited to have you back in the studio. We are super excited that the Boston Red Sox have a 2-1 series lead 
up on the Tampa Bay Rays, and they are currently up 3 nothing right now, 4 nothing right now. Oh, my God, it just keeps getting better. Five it's nothing. five nothing. What is <laughs> happening? What is happening? <laughs> Jacob's got the live feed up. I've got my notes up on my computer. So Jacob, feel free to interrupt at any point to just kind of give us the, the lowdown. Well, the uh, Boston Red Sox are putting an absolute assault on the man who shut them down in Game One. Shane McClanahan, uh, exciting young lefty for the Rays, is uh, not doing so hot right now. And here comes uh, Kevin Cash is gonna make the hook. Um, Get him out of there. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> Looking good to uh, be in Boston right now, or Hamden. Listen, I it's just it's unfortunate that we got to be on the air, but it's also fortunate that we get to be on the air because you see, like the the Twitch streamers, the barstool streamers, they like they have the camera on themselves and they just react to the game and they get like Dave Portnoy, Carabas, Big Cat, you know, all these like different Red Sox Yankee fans in there sitting in the same room and they all get to like laugh at each other. So now we get to kind of do that to each other here. But uh, a recap of the first first three games of the series has been absolutely unreal. Boston got the absolute crap kicked out of them in game one. Uh, still mustered nine hits, were unable to scratch across a run, though, and they lost that one five to nothing. Game two, different story. Chris Sale on the mound. Everyone feels really good about it. Boston puts up two in the top of the first, and then Chris Sale absolutely physically imploded on the mound. A grand slam to Jordan Luplo in the first inning led to a 5-2 Tampa Bay lead. Chris Sale doesn't get out of the second inning, and then Boston would go on to romp, led by the man, Kike, do you love me, Hernandez, who is having himself probably the best stretch of games in his entire career. Coming into tonight, Kike Hernandez, 8-for-16 with five extra base hits, Two home runs, and he had four extra base hits in that game two victory. What did you say, Jacob? There was he's one of like three players in major league history. He was setting a lot of records. Yeah, was, uh, the Red Sox were setting a lot of records offensively in game two. Yeah, they uh, they were just hitting the ball hard, and uh, I mean, what a pickup Kike Hernandez was. I mean, yeah. he's one of those guys who like was really good the last few years with the Dodgers and was a key part of, of what they have been able to do over the past year. And obviously they survive without him this year because they are the Dodgers, but um, he was out there. Kike Hernandez was out there. Anyone could have signed him. He didn't get a crazy contract. What, he get like 214 or something like that? This this season? Yeah. No, he had like 250. No, 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 no. His contract. Oh, two years. Two years, 14 million. Something yes. like that, right. Um, there, the Mets were reportedly interested in him at one point and, and instead signed Kevin Pillar and Albert Almora, and they uh, both were terrible. So, um, you know, credit to uh, the Red Sox for making that pickup, and uh, he, he's just not not slowing down, but it's, it's a whole team effort. And, you know, this Red Sox team, I think because of the COVID thing they went through yeah. in August and September, they kind of started to slip out of people's minds as, like, this is a powerful lineup and you know a lot of those guys were, were missing and um obviously the pitching has had it there have been questions in both the rotation and the bullpen throughout the year but um playoff time you know you see it time and again good teams shine through and uh clearly they are looking like the better team right now which is a shame because the Rays I think oh my goodness Hunter Renfro just absolutely assaulted a ball off the gr- oh my goodness this is not <laughs> ending oh, they're going to hold uh Hold JD at third. So we, we got second and third. Second and third, two outs. Wow. They just brought in uh, JT Chargois. Jeez, but, yeah. uh, ha, ha, Where did they pick him up? Was he from uh, JP Crawford or, or not JP Crawford? JP, the financial place? JP Morgan? Yeah. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> these, these guys that Tampa Bay has, I just feel like they're picking them up off the street. Yeah, no, I was going to say about Kike as well. I mean, Hunter Renfro, another guy that was picked up off the offseason. We kind of didn't really you know expect too much from them as Red Sox fans because they didn't have like the most glamorous stats so they didn't have like the, you know the accolades as maybe some of the other big free agents were that offseason but you know we're looking at Kike for example he's a World Series champion right so he comes in with kind of that October mindset that he's going to come out here and you know play well last year in the NLCS against the Braves he uh, had an average of 308 4 for 13 and he had a couple dingers in that series right so again just another player that you know is coming in at the right time Getting the big hits when it matters the most. We've seen it in this series. We saw in Game 2 uh, with what? What do you have? Three doubles and a home run? Three doubles and a and home a single. run, yeah. So, yeah, just like right now, Bloom's looking like a genius. He is. <laughs> and, and the first thing you said about him having 
been a World Series champion, having been in the playoffs before, like, I think we don't talk about that enough. Like, it's one of those, in you know, in the age of analytics and whatever, and I'm, I'm obviously not a person to disparage analytics, but um, in the age of numbers and wanting to quantify everything, sometimes the, the been there, done that factor falls to the, the wayside. And, um, you know, look at the pitchers the Rays are throwing out there, and obviously they're known for getting a lot out of no names in mm-hmm. the past. Um, but Shane McClanahan's a rookie. Shane Boz is a rookie. This guy, JT Chargois, has been around for a couple of years, but he's never pitched in a do-or-die game where you have to come in down 5 nothing with two runners in scoring and scoring position. In an away game. In an away yeah. game. In, yep. in Fenway, it was you know, crazy atmosphere. Like He's never done that, and, and it's not easy to do that because these guys aren't robots, and the game is not played on a spreadsheet. So, um, yeah, it's it's that's why I love October or you know uh, May and June in, in basketball and uh, obviously I'm not a huge football guy but January but January, football, January at that February. time of the year yeah. where the, the the big players show out and then every once in a while you have uh, you know someone who you haven't really heard of before shine through a la Randy Rosarena last year Nick Pavetta this year right yep. um, but what I love about the sport is that. The, the best players do do shine through. And that's the that's the crazy thing because we look at a guy like Jock Peterson. Jock Peterson's a guy who's competed in a couple home run derbies. He's gone far in them. But other than that, he's not known for being uh, a headline player in the regular season. But then something clicks for him come October. We saw it happen time and time again when he was with Los Angeles. And then this series, this NLDS that he's playing against the Brewers, he's three for three with two pinch hit home runs. Yeah, there's something about like players that are able to show up when the moment matters the most. And yeah. to Jacob's point, it's just all about you know the best players shining through. And if the Red Sox go out and they sign Kike Hernandez to a two year, fourteen million dollar deal, and he doesn't he doesn't light it up in the regular season, you know he hits two fifty, which isn't great. Uh, you know, hits, he hits for a little bit of power, but then in October, if he's hitting 500, if he's getting extra base hits, then that's the reason why you sign that guy uh, for an extended period of time. Kike Hernandez was originally signed to the Red Sox to be their everyday second baseman because Dustin Pedroia had finally announced his retirement. There was no question that he wasn't going to be there. There was no question that he was going to never be suiting up again on a major league diamond, but. Kike kind of came in as that next guy, that Didi Gregorius to Derek Jeter kind of type. But then injuries happened. You know, things didn't really suit out the way Alex Cora thought. And all of a sudden, Kike Hernandez is a contender for a gold glove in center field this year. Yeah. Which is outstanding. No one has more five-star catches in center field than Kike Hernandez does in 2021. Yeah. And to your Jock Peterson point, too, like just a few hours ago, he hit the, a three-run shot today that gave the Braves their... Only three runs to win game three, put them up two to one, right? So, again, just kind of that, that joy about October baseball. You know, you kind of make your own headlines. You, you're the, you can make your own headlines a hero. It doesn't matter what you've done the regular season lead up to that point. If you have one good game in October, everyone's like, you know, talking about you the next day. Like, I couldn't count how many times, you know, I was came up with someone of the Red Sox fans, like, oh, you see the game last night? How about Christian Vasquez, man? Like, we probably wouldn't talk a lot about Christian Vasquez in the regular season, but that walk-off homer alone last night was. Man, it was something. It's definitely something that we're all going to talk about for quite some time. That was. That was. Who was the guy in 2015 for the Mets that just kind of was like, you didn't really expect him to be there, but all of a sudden, like, he, you noticed him? Daniel Murphy. I should have thought of that. Daniel Murphy. <laughs> oh, I thought, you, I thought you were, like, quizzing me. Like, like no, I thought you no, 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 no. remember. No, I, I yeah, straight yeah. up was oh, like, yeah. I, like for us, if it's you got away with it, yeah, sold opportunity. <laughs> oh yeah, I could oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Danny Murphy. He was, I mean, he had been with the Mets since 2008. Was his rookie season, and uh, was just perpetually a, uh, just a guy. You know, he was like one of the best players on the team for many years because they were awful and didn't have any good players outside of. Didn't he lead the David team Wright. in home runs with like 12 one year? 2009, the first year of City Field. Um, yeah. Uh, that was that was not a good year, and they have moved the fences in like five times. Um, and that was his last season with the team because his contract was was up. He was ready to hit free agency, and his swan song as a, as a Met was setting the playoff record for consecutive games with a home run, and he was just unconscious that uh, entire time. Actually, he was then awful in the World Series, but uh, he got yeah. us there, and that's that's all that matters really. Didn't he? Uh, he he did boot a ground ball at second base. I remember in the World Series. It was on that key game. Wasn't that game five? 
Yeah. I don't mean to bring uh, up no, bad memories. I don't mean for to bring it. up bad memories for you. But. Well, I, I was there, uh, and they were winning at that point, and, um, or it was tied, and um, had he fielded that ball cleanly, I think that would have ended the inning, and uh, yeah, the rest is history. That was and, Halloween, actually, 2015, and I was there at City Field, not not at, with friends. Freshman year, Jacob uh, Resnick. Sophomore year, Jacob Resnick. Sophomore year. Yep. Jeez, think about how long ago that was. Um, that's crazy because then Daniel Murphy goes on to sign with Washington. He has one solid season where he was like an MVP candidate, but then petered out with uh, Chicago and and then uh, Colorado eventually. Uh, and that's, yeah, it's one of those players that you just, you know, he had one insanely amazing October. I remember that NLDS against uh, against the Dodgers, and he was, he was hitting them off Granky, Kershaw, and then uh, going into the uh, NLCS, the sweep of the Cubs. You know, yeah, just absolutely insane. Arietta, Lester, yeah. He's, yeah, yeah, I mean, done. doing it against, like, Cy Young Award winners, you know, MVP candidates, and Daniel Murphy was the guy that stood out. Tonight, though, before we got on the air, we obviously did our prep. And before we got on the air, the score was nothing, nothing. Yep. <laughs> Literally, we turned the mics on, big scoops, homers, JD doubles, Renfro doubles, Vasquez doubles. Uh, but I said it's extremely important that Boston has to take Wander Franco out of the game. Now, it's been fortunate that Boston has been, is Franco, Franco batting right now? Yes. This is Jacob Resnick's, um, <laughs> this is Jacob Resnick's new uh, brainchild right here. This is going to be the guy... That in 20 years, we're going to say, yeah, we watched his debut. He was the first guy to play in the majors that was younger than your dad in the situation, <laughs> right? Um, I, I was said Boston's got to take him out of the game. With Erod on the mound, we know how iffy Erod can be. He's had the tip pitching. He's had the pitching tip problem. I don't know how I properly say that. Uh, but uh, Franco against left-handed pitching this year was absolutely insane. The switch hitter hit 357 slashed 357, 418, 602, and had a 1020 OPS and 100 less ABs as a right-handed hitter. He had only 11 less hits as as a than he was a, as a left-handed as a left-handed batter. Yeah. Well, right now he's got his number. Think, uh, was it 0 for 0 for two now? Right. He's yep. 0 for two. Just popped up. Yeah, struck struck him out earlier. Maybe Erod uh, he's got something well, earlier. Well, listen, that was a Ron Culpa stri- classic. You know, not a strike strikeout. Vasquez kind of framed it pretty well. Yeah, Matt, that was uh, that was the fact there. But Boston Word. Boston tonight, if they hold on, has the chance to for the first time since two thousand eight beat a higher ranked team in the postseason. Uh, in twenty in two thousand eight, they beat the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, in four games in the uh, American League Division Series. They then lost to the Rays in seven games in the American League Championship Series. The Rays then lost to the Phillies in the World Series Hmm. in five games. How about that ground rule double last night, boys? Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) That was, uh, we got to address... We got to address that because there has been a lot of fallout from that ground rule double. For those who missed it, it was extra innings. Uh, I believe it was the top of the 13th inning. Yandy Diaz is on first base for the Tampa Bay Rays. Nick Pavetta hangs a, a slider outside. Kiermaier pulls it into right field. Uh, it it short hop. No, it it hit off the bullpen wall. Yep. At in Fenway Park, which is not very high. It's about hip high. In uh, pretty much the exact same spot that was it. Tory Hunter who. Tory Hunter flipped over. flipped over where big when Big Poppy hit his grand slam. Like literally yeah, literally the exact same spot. And uh, Renfro, in an effort to make the catch, his momentum carried him towards the wall. The ball hit off the wall, hit off the ground, hit Renfro in the hip, and then bounced into the bullpen. This is where the controversy comes into play because the rule clearly states that that's a ground rule double. However. Everyone knows, or what the broadcast was saying, is that it is umpire's discretion as to where he can place the runners. Knowing that we have Jacob Resnick sitting in the studio with us, I want to, I want to know the breakdown because as a Tampa Bay fan, you feel like you get cheated, but at the end of the day, the rules are the rules. Yeah, so I mean, the, the, the painful part from the Tampa Bay perspective is that Diaz was a couple steps away from third, at, you know, before the ball even, or, or when the ball hit off Renfro's hip, and even if he feels it cleanly, he's scoring. I think he was run, even running oh, yeah. with the pitch. Um, so he's scoring easy. That's the go-ahead run. The inning continues. Obviously, if that was the only run they scored, and Vasquez still homered in the 
be then it's evaluating that, that it doesn't even matter. But uh, who knows what could have happened if, if the inning had continued. Um, but <laughs> so yes, it, it is it is tough for the Rays from that perspective. The rule you, you started correctly. The rule is is that if it hits off a player. Uh, unintentionally, which it clearly was. That's that's where the discretion comes in. Was it intentional or unintentional? Um, if and it was un, unintentional, clearly he his momentum couldn't stop in time. Um, in that case, it's actually not the rule book. The rule book only says if a ball hits off a player and then bounces over, it's two bases. You have to go to the umpire manual, which I don't believe is made public, but what they the umpire said after the game when they were uh, did the press conference. The umpire's manual states that if it is unintentional, it's two bases from the time of the pitch. If it is intentional, say Renfro picked up the ball and, and just, Trevor Bauer chucked it over, uh, you know the the fence. Which I don't know why a player would ever intentionally throw a ball over the wall. Um, it's two bases. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the umpire's discretion, which would be okay, or it, or it would be at yeah, where to place the runner's umpire's discretion, and in that case, would be like okay, if he hadn't picked it up and thrown it over, Diaz would have scored. So we give him we give him uh, home and, and the run, and, and Kiermaier ended up at third, you know, naturally in, in that play. Um, so w- was the rule implemented correctly? Yes, it was two bases. It was a ground rule double. The run had to go back. The runner had to go back to third because he started at first. Is it a good rule? That's up to for who, interpretation. You know, who knows? Right? Uh, Ken Rosenthal wrote a thing today arguing that it should be changed, um, and I, I can't remember who it was, but I, I saw a video of someone talking about it on Twitter, where like, you know, any other sport where a ball hits off a player and goes out of play, football, basketball, uh, the 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 other team, the team that the ball didn't bounce off of, is the ben- the beneficiary. Uh, obviously, baseball is a little different because there's no you the know, defense controls the ball. There's no touching out of play. There's no you know you can't step over the foul line and then that's you know a, right. That's not that's not baseball. Um, but any other sport where the ball is is ricocheted out of play, the other team is the beneficiary. And in this case, the Red Sox messed up. Uh, it wasn't Renfro's fault, but he didn't feel it cleanly, and and it bounced off him and over, and the Red Sox benefited because they they were able to hold that that runner at third. So the only issue that I have with the way that it was handled, and this is specifically on social media, is that you have obviously Rays fans who are disappointed that they get gypped out of a run, uh, but then you have then you have the Red Sox fans who are like, this is the rule, you know, myself included. This was the rule; it was implemented correctly. And those who are begging to change the rules are the ones who are trying to trying to insert bias into a series where their bias shouldn't be input. Such as, as you just mentioned, Ken Rosenthal. Ken Rosenthal is a national broadcaster. He's a sideline reporter for Fox and for MLB Network. The time and place for him to be talking about whether or not a rule should be changed is after the season's over and you are no longer broadcasting games for that season. Does that make sense? Yes. Because then I go on and I turn on FS1 tonight and I watch the rest of the Red Sox game and I see Ken Rosenthal's face in a in a game that should be should be covered unbiasedly as Barry Sachs would want to have it, as Rich Hanley would want to have it, as Molly Hannity would want to have it. I now know that Ken Rosenthal does, does not agree with the outcome of last night's game. Whether that is for my team or against my team, I now no longer have any faith that Ken Rosenthal can give me an unbiased, true report of what is happening on the field. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a valid argument, and I, you know, I, I agree with that in terms of like, you know, if you're a national broadcaster coming out with that. I, however, I do think it's okay for someone to to share their opinion. It's a matter of how he wrote it. I haven't read the the article personally, so I'm not sure, you know. How like he approached it? How if it was like you know, if this is a one-time thing. If he only talked about the Red Sox game, maybe if he incorporated other examples, that might be good. Um, but yeah, I just I have not I have not looked at it. So I, it depends on how how you report it, right? Like if you have multiple examples besides just that Red Sox game, then it's fine. But clearly, this seems like he could kind of just rush it out. So uh, you're yeah. saying no way? No, what else okay. Happened. Um, 
<laughs> so Jacob just sent me a tweet. Zach Hampel, the the infamous ball hawk who goes around, caught Raphael Devers' home run. And it is 80th it is his 80th lifetime game, game home, run. home run. Oh wow. So well, I apologize. One is to crazy. Two is like, okay, 80 is like holy crap. Yeah. Imagine catching good. 80 game home runs. I don't runs. think I ever caught a home run ball before, so I've never. I've got <laughs> a, I've got one toss up in my to my name, yeah, Christian I've got Vasquez. A one foul ball, maybe, maybe two. I got a Christian Vasquez toss up after Joe Maurer struck out. That is my one major league game yeah. used baseball that I personally caught. I did buy one. I got a toss up, and it's one thing to do it. <laughs> one thing to do it in a empty stadium where you know, like a, a Royals Fenway's game packed. or something, yeah. but at a playoff game where yeah. there's not an empty seat there, that's, that's insane. Anyway, yeah. didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, no, basically I was I was done, but I basically I think, you know, it depends on how you report it, right? Like if you right. bring up multiple examples, if you bring up multiple visuals and videos that showcase this happening before, mm-hmm. it's okay. But, like, if you focus in on, like, one specific thing and maybe don't have any other backup to that point, then it's like, all right, yeah, yeah, maybe he comes out a little bit biased, and that's something they should, we should avoid, because you mentioned, especially if you're covering national broadcast, like, you should avoid showing bias in those situations because then it comes across as like, oh, this person is like not on my side. They're not for my team. Or it's just like, oh, this person favors the other team. Like, why should yeah. I trust their opinion about something? Yeah. So but we're going to get to broadcasters and stuff like that, about more about that later. But Absolutely. In terms of Boston's competition, we're going to go over and we're going to talk about the Los Angeles Dodgers. Now, the, of course, the Dodgers or Giants wouldn't be playing Boston until uh, the World Series, but... What a series that is. A battle of two heavyweights, two 106, 106 and a 107 win team going at it in the NLDS. And a little anticlimactic to me because I feel like those teams should be having a seven game series to really properly determine the better. Uh, but the Dodgers got baffled in game one, were shut out 4 nothing. Then they stormed back in game two for a 9 2 victory. I have a theory that the Dodgers ride or die with Cody Bellinger. Bellinger had an awful year. He was hurt for a majority of it, but he, uh, after going 0 for 3 with a pair of Ks and he left like six guys on base in game one, came back in game two, big time RBI double, uh, still struck out and, and had a had a solid defensive day at first base. So the former NL MVP, do, do the Dodgers go with Cody Bellinger? Uh, sure. Uh, after uh, Mookie Betts. Chris Taylor, Trey Turner, Will Smith, thing. Corey Seager, <laughs> Justin Turner, AJ Pollock. Uh, I can continue. So once those guys are uh, wiped off the face of the earth, then yes, the, the entire series <laughs> comes down to Cody Bellinger. Um, but you know, as long as those guys are in the lineup, I think they're they're doing pretty well, regardless of what Bellinger does. The Dodgers are like the Lakers. They just got so much star talent, and it's it. They are so strong. Offensively and defensively. They have MVPs. They have Cy Young Award winners. They have relief relievers of the year. Like there is not a, a weakness on this Los Angeles Dodgers team. Then you look at the other side of the of the field and you look at the Giants and you look at guys like, damn, how old am I that Buster Posey is hitting go-ahead two-run home runs in the postseason? How old am I that Brandon Belt? How old am I that, you know, Crawford? I forgot his first name. Brandon Crawford. How old am I that Brandon Crawford? Freaking Madison Bumgarner. He's not in that. He's not in that game. He's not on the team anymore. But <laughs> you get the point. Why? Like, wh- how are the Giants? This this team of a bunch of old farts, this and a bunch of castaways competing with the Los Angeles Dodgers with the super mega talent of the guys that Jacob just mentioned. Yeah, well, is this the is this the anal, is this the Rays 2.0 over there in San Francisco? Or is that what we're looking at? Could be. Also, could be coaching. I mean, Jacob, if you want to kind of weigh yeah. in, yeah. Uh, so you th- think Gabe Kapler is? I think it's not just Gabe Kapler. I've been reading a lot recently just about their coaching staff that they've assembled, um, which is really interesting because they have the largest coaching staff in baseball. I believe they have 13 men and women on their coaching staff. Very um, true. And uh, pretty much everyone except. Bench coach Ron Wotus had little to no major league coaching experience prior to taking the job. Um, but that entire organization from the front office down to the coaches, down to the players, are just completely in sync with their uh, their message, their directives. Uh, and it all all the synergy really comes together really well. Um, and, you know, it, it helps to have someone like Chris Bryant 
Um, and, you know, guys like Posey and Belt and Crawford who have been uh, great all season. Um, but then, you know, you, you look at Austin Slater, Darren Ruff, Tommy LaStella, Wilmer Flores, got to get the former men in there. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's not an accident. Obviously, those guys were targeted for a reason. Um, and they've been coached well, and, and they, they do the little things the right way. Um, and it's really a beautiful brand of baseball to see. I, you know, it's not, it's not the raise in the way that they're kind of being micromanaged on a super analytical level. Obviously, they use analytics really well, the Giants do. Uh, Farhan Zaidi, their GM, used to, used to be the, the stats guy for the Dodgers front office and then was poached over to run the entire organization. Um, so they certainly lean heavily on analytics, but... Um, I think they just do the fundam- the fundamental things really well that have kind of fallen by the wayside uh, in recent years across baseball. This is the 2015 Kansas City Royals that don't you know they don't they don't shine, but if you do the little things really well, it still result it still gets you positive results. 107 wins doesn't happen on accident. That happens because you are a great baseball team. I mean, I think back to the twenty-eight to the twenty eighteen Red Sox, won one hundred and eight games, most wins by a single team since the two thousand one Mariners that won one hundred and sixteen games. But the fact of like, if you can execute on all of your ground balls, you can lay down sacrifice bunts when you need to. You know the situations, and you can play each situation to perfection. Then that beats home runs. It beats strikeouts. It beats big-time moments that we would be accustomed to seeing from the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Dodgers came off a huge wild-card win in the Chris Taylor walk-off home run and then and then have a rude welcoming to the to, by the Giants and get shut out for nothing. You know when I knew the Giants were legit this year? It was, uh, well, obviously... When they signed Wilmer? <laughs> <laughs> obviously, you know, they were playing great all season, but the first time that I knew with my own eyes that they were legit was I saw them at City Field. I'm pretty sure it was the last game I went to before I moved back in up here. Um, got there early, was there with a few friends, um, and we were just sitting in the upper deck. Uh, the Mets just finished batting practice, and instead of heading straight towards the cage, all the Giants players, the infielders, went to their positions, and they were taking ground balls. Just a little I.O.? little infield, uh, not no O. Just, just I, um, but Chris Bryant was at third. Brandon Crawford, a Gold Glover, was at shortstop, and these guys are going through the motions of taking the ground balls and and turning double plays, and uh, they've got you know three fungal lines going at one time, and uh, you know I, I, Eric, I don't know how in tune you are to the the pregame workouts of baseball, but infield practice is not something that I'm mostly to see batting play. practice. Right, batting <laughs> practice is, is kind of the thing, and it used to be that you know like decades ago, and and. Up until fairly recently, like infield practice was, you know, synonymous with batting practice. Yep. Um, but it's just not something that that teams do anymore because they'd rather you know rest their guys and, and let them get off their feet before the game. Um, but it's the little things, like I said, that that go into making a championship team. We got to get the crack research team on this. Did the giant how, like what were the Giants ranked in terms of defense? Because I tried to find it as we were. As we were uh, talking about it right there, but I got I got lost in baseball reference uh, hyperlinks. So uh, if someone can find that, uh, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to go right into our favorite broadcasters, which kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier with the Kevin Kiermeyer double. You got it? I got it. They were number five in outs above average, which is pretty good. Five out of 30? Yeah. 28 outs above good. average. Well, the only teams better than them were probably... Probably the Astros. Number two. Uh, Tampa Bay. Number three. And ALNL. So obviously I got to think about that. The Mariners. Nope. I guess the Mariners had a terrible run differential, but that that was attributed to their offense. So I couldn't think of one. Number one with 50 outs above average is the St. Louis Cardinals. I thought they were pretty bad uh, no, defensively this no, year. No, they were quite the opposite, and there was a lot written about them this year, uh, about their defense, especially their infield defense, which... Nolan uh, Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, that would make sense, yep. right? Edmundo uh, Sosa, their <laughs> young shortstop, was pretty good for them as well. Uh, number four, the Rangers, Texas Rangers, another team who uh, uh, a lot of people don't think about. but they're, 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 uh, their, their shortstop was the best. He's going to win a platinum uh, glove. Kiner Falefa. Yeah. Yep. Insane. Anyway, yeah, we got to take a short break when we come back. We're talking about our. Uh, we're talking about the broadcasting. We're talking about the business. We're seniors now. We're getting into it pretty soon. You're listening to ninety-eight point one, 
WQAQ. No friends in the industry, my brothers been my brothers, man. You ain't no kidding me a fact. Well, yeah, you heard about me, you don't know me more than that. Yeah, I know I, hey, hey, yeah. No friends in the industry, my brothers been my brothers, man. You ain't no kidding me a fact. Whoa, I was known for snapping when I chat before the app. Stood on everything I said and never took it back. Whoa. No friends in the industry, I had to draw the line between my brothers and my enemies a fact Let us start the beat, don't wanna keep it rap Yeah, you hit us up and now we owe you something back See, I was young, angel, but you turn me evil Yeah, I know, I know you, but you really ain't my people Yeah, I heard some people say they know I'm as my equal Truth be told, I son, these girl, I don't compete with them Ask about the boy and they gon' say he got the streets with him so offensive knowing they don't have no defense Why they always act like we can face it with a meeting All that linking up, man, I'ma see it when I see ya Yeah, Kiermaier sends a ball into right center field That's trouble And that one's off the base of the wall Diaz coming around to score Kiermaier to third The Rays have taken the lead You're saying that's going to be a double that was a horrible break, and the run was going. I was just saying that the runner going allows them to score on a double. I think they might. They're going to take the, a look. At that it, hit the top of the wall and go over? They're not only going to look at that. Isn't it umpire's discretion as to where to place the base runner? This ball hits. Wow, that was a ton of spin. It hits before the wall. Down and hits the minute. right Wait. fielder and goes over the wall. So it's an unbelievable break. It's being discussed now with Kevin Cash the fact uh -uh. that it hit Renfro and bounced over the wall. All right, here we go. And they're saying it's a double. Are they going to put Diaz back on base? That is an amazing That's, break. They are. Well, that will cue uh, us back into our next segment. Welcome back to the Mac and Main Show on 98.1 WQAQ. This is the number one radio show here at Quinnipiac. I'm Eric Kerr alongside Jack Main, joined by our special guest. Number what, number one show according to who? According to uh, according Andrew to, White, Dan Ball, mm, all okay. those who came before us and gave us the uh, award. Yeah, Jacob. I, I, I forgot that they're still here. Okay. Yeah, anyway. well, Crosstown Rivals, we, a, we, uh, we, a, we, we don't want to get into that debate right now, but anyway, um, so that, well, that little call point. was kind of a little tease into our next segment. We're going to talk about the industry, as Jack uh, alluded to at the end of the break, that being... No friends. Uh, I just real. I that was totally unintentional. That was the, that, I thought that's why you played it. That was totally unintentional. I just opened my Spotify playlist and it was right there. And, uh, wow. Yeah, well, while Drake says he has no friends in the industry, we would like to say we have a lot of friends in the industry. And also, we appreciate <laughs> the professional industry, and that being the, the broadcast industry. You know, I, I'm the broadcast manager at QBSN, so I'm kind of uh, up in arms about, you know, okay, what makes a good broadcast? And, you know, taunting some of our, you know, different broadcasters, different games uh, throughout the school year. Obviously, Jacob has been QBSN before. He was an associate editor. Jack has done a number of calls for us as well. So we all have kind of a good grasp on what that looks like, you know, not only in terms of how you do a broadcast, but maybe, you know, trying to avoid your support for another team. And that call last night from who was playing play last night, Matt Viscursion, who's normally done a bunch of different broadcasts for baseball, for MLB in the past. He's the voice of MLB, the show, for the past few years. Uh, we both have our, our, our gripes about that. So yeah. uh, I know how I feel about it. Jack, I kind of want you to start since you're the... Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I was a big Matt Faskersian stan, you know, no more than a year ago. I mean, I, I I thought he was exciting. I thought he brought a lot of energy and, and uh, you know, youth a youthful vibe to the game that it was really missing. Uh, and then and then we we listened to the American League wildcard game, uh, the Red Sox-Yankees, and it was uh, broadcast on ESPN. It was Matt Faskersian's last... ESPN call because he's 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 stepping away from that, and it just became blatantly obvious how Matt Vaskersian has become a biased broadcaster on the national stage, and it's why I have now lost my lost my respect, lost my will to want to listen to Matt Vaskersian, and also the fact that he is the voice of MLB the show 
does not help. Like I, I, you just you hear the same phrases over and over again when, on a video game, and it's no fault to him. It's you know the way that the way that uh, you know games are games are built, and it's but on a national setting when you're live and you should be telling stories and you should be making me feel like I am a part of the game. He was making me feel like I was watching a Yes Network broadcast with Alex Rodriguez in the booth. Yeah, like, I mean the fact that we we listened to the call before and he said, "What an unbelievable break!" Like. That reveals a sign of uh, a little bit of bias right there. And the fact that they would continue, again, to my other point, the yeah, fact they yeah. would continue to call, talk about that call and the ground rule double aspect we didn't get a chance to listen to, it was like nonstop, Jack. It felt like they were talking about it for like five, ten minutes because Vaskirjian wanted to just go back and, you know, refer to that statement, I guess, again, because of the little bit of little bit of frustration, maybe a little bit of saltiness that uh, the Yankees went out the way they did against the Red Sox in that wild card matchup so again you know when it comes to national broadcasters you know it will get into kind of the the local argument too which is an important thing to discuss i think as far as national goes again this is you know average baseball fan or you know fan of the team comes in and you know watches the game and is just looking for as you said just the guy who's out there just to tell the story and the fact that there's you know kind of these like constant like it's not just like a little slip up it's like constant like putting down your throat that, hey, I'm mad and frustrated about this call yeah. without saying I'm mad and frustrated about this call, then that's annoying to me, and that's not that's not fun to listen to, and that's not fun if you're, you know, any sports fan, not just baseball, so. So if Matt Vaskirchen is mad and frustrated about the call, what is he being biased towards? He's being biased towards the team that he that the, that he feels like the call should have been in favor of. So I think that yes, the Red Sox did catch a break, right? It it is, however, in the rule book, and and I saw on Twitter today from Adam Kaufman that last night's Red Sox, you know, Red Sox ground rule double, the Fenway double, uh, is baseball's version of the Tuck rule. You know, it's in the rule book. Nobody likes it now. No one really knew it was in the rule book, but it's it's a rule, and if you don't like it then voice your displeasure, and this kind of goes back to my earlier point about Ken Rosenthal writing a column for The Athletic, voice your displeasure when the season's over and you're no longer... What difference does it make? Because when I see Matt Vaskersian or I see Ken Rosenthal on a game this postseason, and if the Red Sox are playing in that game, then I know that he he is unhappy with something that went down that benefited the Red Sox. That was it has a, nothing to do with the team. If it was the Kansas City Royals or if it was the... Oakland Athletics, or it was the Mets. Like, what difference does it make if the call was the call? They're they're not. First of all, they're not upset. They're they're as baseball people are questioning uh, whether you know, or not it the, should the, the be the purpose of the purpose of the rule, and uh, you know what what kind of what I was trying to explain before. Like, you know, why should the the team who created the issue benefit from it? Um, so, as baseball people and you know, it's it's one thing to to clearly try to be unbiased and then be biased. There's also a difference between bias and opinion. It was clearly an opinion piece that Ken Rosenthal wrote, so I'm not going into it reading it thinking like, okay, this this guy's going to be impartial. And in fact, he was impartial because he explained both sides in the article. Um, he did. I really, really would press you on the next time you see Ken Rosenthal broadcasting, you now have a tainted view of him because he questioned the uh, the, the purpose of a rule just because it benefited one team and the other. I, I, I don't think He's, there's any connection between how the rule... Uh, is is perceived and the team that it happened to. It's because he's lobbying for a rule change based on It had nothing to do play. with the team. It had nothing to do with the team that it benefited from. Of course, so if it, if, it had ha- if it had happened... Why, why would a, Ken Rosenthal be biased towards the Rays? What what, what, what does he have to gain it's from bias, it, What, it's what not does Matt Vaskersen have to gain from being biased towards... And there's, you know, there, there are a lot of... It's not biased Sox. towards, it's biased against... Same th- biased for against support for and against that why why would he what benefit does he have to uh, to voice his support on the broadcast for a team to either a drive up viewership or b he just or b he just subconsciously has a bias against or for a team. Where's Matt Vasquezin so, from? I, Oakland, I, California. What does he have to do with the Yankees or the Red Sox? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. But he's sitting in a booth next to a Yankees legend. 
and he's sitting next he's sitting in a booth with a with a with a Braves legend or he's sitting in a booth with somebody who has who has played the game and may have a may have a may have a slight you know might may have a slight bias against the team that they're broadcasting. I'm not saying Matt Baskersian loves the Rays or he loves the Yankees or he loves the Red Sox or or something else. I'm saying that in this situation you are you should be focusing on the game and, and as it happened. It's an unbelievable play. It is an anomaly of a play that happened in a very crucial time. But if this had happened in the in the second inning and it had no impact on the game, then we're not talking about this. But instead, it happened in the top of the 13th inning. It prevented the Rays from scoring a run. And the next day, we're talking about a rule change because it benefited Boston and it should have benefited Tampa Bay. Is your issue with Vasquez's call the fact that he said it was an unbelievable break? No, that's not it. Because it was because no, that's that, what it that's like. no. It is. It wasn't in the. It wasn't in the clip that we played. But if you if you watched and listened to it, he said. This rule should be discussed and changed. He did say it that. should be, and I don't care for either team. Okay, I care for Wander Franco. That's it. <laughs> but I don't care for either but team, and you, it should be discussed. But you aren't on the national broadcast. You can say that. Matt Faskersian is Ken Rosenthal is. What's the purpose of the national broadcast? Is a what? What is a broadcast at the end of the day? It's a discussion about the game that is going on simultaneous to the actual game itself. But what we learn in all of our journalism classes, is if you are on the national stage, and we'll get into the local markets here momentarily, you have to call the game impartially. This is part of the reason why I love Joe Davis. Okay? Joe Davis is the Dodgers' main play-by-play man for the regular season. He then calls for Fox during the postseason, and you heard he was... He was excited when Rafi hit the home run, and he would be equally excited if Wander Franco hit a home run to put the Rays up 3-0. I can get excited about any time I hear Joe Davis on a call because he will be fair and equal to both teams, and he won't say, oh, this should be discussed in the offseason as a rule change because he will say it's an unbelievable break. He'll say one team, one team, that, that is a lucky break for Boston, but at the end of the day, he's not lobbying for a rule change, and he's not agreeing with a national baseball columnist because of because of something that happened in a, in a decisive moment of the game. I'm about to blow up your theory in two seconds. I'm ready. So, Vaskersian, according to you, was being biased against in, in favor of the Rays. Yes. By saying the rule should be changed. Mm-hmm. What was your opinion of his Vasquez walk off home run call? I thought it was pretty good. I rest my case. It was good. Well. That doesn't mean that he didn't have. That doesn't mean he can't still be a professional, right? If he was biased in one well, moment, you're doesn't, that you, doesn't mean you just that he said can that turn Joe it Davis off. is a professional because he gets excited equally for both yes. sides. And then, I, and then I, and then I, and then I can right here. I can pull up John Carl Stanton's single in the wild card <laughs> game where he's like, and he just got another one, and then the ball hits off the American League Listen, scoreboard. I yep. thought he hit that to Rhode Island as well. We so. all did, but that's partially because of the cameraman <laughs> yeah, operating the yeah. first base cam. Yeah. But, but. Then later in that game, I forget who homered for Boston. Xander. Xander homered for Boston. It was a home run. It wasn't a single. And that one's gone instead of, Satin hits one. All right. Now we're we're nitpicking. Now we're nitpicking. It's, it's, he, he, out of the guys that I would listen to, he's not on the top of my list. Sure. And he's not on my list either. Mostly because every year when he used to call the Futures game, every time a player would come up, he would say, so-and-so is... Marlins property or Red property Sox of property, and it was like it just seemed like his thing. And it was kind of sounds like that Joe weird. Buck repetition, right? Yeah, super super weird. <laughs> this um, is also why we don't like Joe Buck. But listen, <laughs> I just like Joe Buck for the beam passes <laughs> caught <laughs> over the middle, <laughs> back at the wall. I can't wait to hear that for the World Series, yeah, huh? Right. <laughs> um, so who's who's your number one national? Baseball broadcaster right now. Yeah. National, ba- it, Joe Davis. Joe Davis. Joe Davis is up there. Um, because Fox does a lot of games, it's it's kind of it's kind of tough because you get a lot of Joe Buck. Um, and also, other than Matt Vaskersian, I mean, no one else really on ESPN turns your head. No. Right? Yeah. Uh, John Shambi, I like. Boog. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other guy who does ESPN, who I would say is probably my number one right now. Jason Benetti. 
Yeah. And mm. this is a topic for another show, but like, you know, I think baseball doesn't get enough coverage in ESPN as it should. Like basketball yeah. dominates. Like the fact that uh, a summer league game is on ESPN and they throw a baseball game in ESPN too. Like summer league and regular season baseball. Like, come on. Like yeah, I'm a basketball fan, but like we, I know there's priorities between which one should get the more coverage. We were here. we were we were in my apartment on uh, on Friday night watching uh, watching one of the games and uh, it was a it was a Verdugo made that insane catch over the wall to rob to rob uh, Nelson Cruz. Yeah, and um, someone's on House of Highlights Instagram and. They're like, dang, Alonzo Ball just hit back-to-back threes in a preseason game. <laughs> Alex Verdugo just made one of the greatest catches we're going to see this entire postseason, and we're never going to see that on House of Highlights. Yeah. Like, baseball just doesn't get the respect. And this is where Jacob and I kind of stand in this unique, uh, this unique group of sports fans. And uh, we'll throw... You know, we'll throw a guy like uh, Joe Lagrippo in there too, but like just the the the, the baseball is their number one, right? Because it's, it's basketball for you, and that's yeah. no slight to you, but uh, baseball baseball fans have their own community because they know that they're not number one, right? We yep. all know that we are third to the bowl when it comes to American professional sports, and we just kind of embrace that. And so when we when we argue about you know minute things like who's your favorite broadcaster and I hate mass basket and I hate Joe Buck. It's just, it, it breaks down the, it breaks down the trust in the bubble that we all have in each other. Because at the end of the day, myself, Jacob included, Joe included, we can sit down and we can watch, we can watch game 130 between the Minnesota twins and the Texas Rangers and be, I knew and be with Rangers. every single team. Yeah. And I'll I just, just get bored just, and want to do something else. Right. Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, it, it is. It, it, it's a unique. It's it's a unique ability to be able to watch four hours of baseball. Yeah. Because while someone would say, "Oh, the action of football, the violence of football, the 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 fast pace of basketball," like they would rather see, they would rather see that. Yeah. They'd rather see that. But um, in terms of locally, I like bias in local broadcasters. Uh, see, no. Okay. Well, I love. I, I think the Mets have a great broadcast booth, and I'm not just the best broadcast booth. I'm not just blowing steam up your ass. I'm I'm legitimately saying like I I think the Mets have an out an out an outstanding TV broadcast team, and it's because it, it's not because they're biased or because they're homers. It's because they they act, love the Mets. They love the Mets, but they accurately depict what's going on, and they have. Legitimate conversations uh, that are poignant uh, about what's going on, and if that conversation, you know, it's baseball, you never know what's going to happen. If that conversation happens to be this guy is absolutely tearing the Mets apart right now, they're going to talk about that. If it's you know this Mets rookie is has been great so far, they're going to talk about that, and that doesn't make them homers. It's just that's the the pertinent story of what's going on, uh, and their ability to. Um, you know, convey what makes the storyline so compelling is, is I think, what makes Gary Keith and Ron uh, number one. Um, you know, th- there is certainly bias and homerism in uh, local broadcasts. I think of the Nationals broadcasters who are clearly audibly upset when the team struggles. When the Mets lose... You know, Gary Cohen is as straight as he has ever been and is going to give you the story. Um, if, you know, if, if the Mets get no hit, like, that's this is a huge story that needs to be covered properly on the broadcast, and Gary Cohen is going to deliver every single time. Hopefully not a lot of times that the Mets are being no hit, but uh, <laughs> if the Nationals get no hit, Bob Carpenter and F.P. Santangelo are the absolute worst because they are going to shut up and just give you dead air for two minutes because they're pissed off that the Nationals got no hit. Mm-hmm. Like th- that's that's what bias manifests itself as on national bro- uh, local broadcast. Who's yeah. the Hornets guy? <laughs> I was just about to talk about him actually, Eric Collins. Bridges. Yeah, <laughs> and he only does it for Hornets players too. You'll never catch him being that excited for any oh. other team. It's only for his team. And, you know, while it is does sound kind of you know obviously it's bias. I think it adds like a fun element to it, especially for like the. The Hornets fans and people mm-hmm. that, you know, especially for a team like the Hornets, because honestly, I don't think that team really has a lot of enemies with uh, 
a lot of people. I don't know what you're, what you're doing over there. Well, Jack, what was your, your number one key to the game for the Red Sox? Taking Wander Franco out of the game. Two run shot. <sighs> oh, boy. What did I tell you? Off of Erod? Uh, nope. No. Tanner Houck? Tanner Houck. Tanner Houck. Well, so much for that game plan. And um, the, the game plan was to take him out of the game and also to make sure he wasn't batting right-handed <laughs> and he just hit a left-handed home run. So, yeah. But anyway, like, to the point about Eric Collins, like, you know, yeah. I think he's fun when he, when he does that kind of thing because, like... Jacob's bias. Especially for, for, <laughs> especially, for, <laughs> especially for the Hornets because, like, you know, uh, the team that is really have a lot of hate with a lot of people, so... It's just like it's just fun to like kind of see that thing, you know, and how's a highlight, just get him excited about like they're like the you know, obviously there's exciting plays, but sometimes it'll just be like the way he says it and the way he goes about it is just unique and it's fun. Like it's Zach not Campbell like, caught that home run. Yeah. The wander one? Yep. No. Yep. No. Yep. Whoa. Oh boy. Well, anyway, yeah, it's just like to that kind of thing. And you know, I will well, actually I'll, I'll get back to baseball here real, real quick because my dad is a big Yankees fan, yeah. and I cannot hear my dad just not say that he just hates, hates Dave O'Brien every time he gets on the mic for uh, a Red Sox Red call. Sox, he thinks yeah. he's a streamer, and like I know how your thoughts about it. Obviously, you're a Red Sox fan, so like you know, yeah. I feel like you you don't really like choose to hate him because like you like him because you listen to him, you're used to his voice. But I'm a way bigger Don Orsillo fan. I've always really liked Don Orsillo and Jerry Remy. I think that broadcast team will, will will never be beat in my opinion until proven otherwise to my ears um in Red Sox Nation. But yeah, I just I want to, you know, get your side about that. Do you think Dave O'Brien is biased? Do you think he's a screamer? I don't. I think he's uh he's a little too cliche. Um which is, you know, which, you know, cliches are fine, but they're not for every single every single moment. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And uh I didn't really love Don Orsillo when he was in Nesson. Uh, I, in fact, I was really, I really liked the fact that Dave O'Brien moved over from WEI, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, for sure. Like I would hearing Don Orsillo call Padres games now, like I wish that energy was in the Nesson booth without a doubt. Do we do breaking news on the show? If you want. Uh, I have, uh, let me hear, let me see what kind of sounds I have. Oh, I didn't play. Hang on. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, John Gruden is resigning as uh Raiders head coach. Whoa. After the uh, d- uh, after the ESPN emails yep. leaked, right? From like 10 years ago. Jeez. Yeah, that's insane. Anyway, hey, we got to get uh, we got to get out of the booth, so let's get right into the blitz for 6. Even though it's October, today was Boston Marathon Day. The race that was postponed in April 2020 was ran today. Kenyan runners took home both the men's and women's titles. Men's champion Benson Kipturo finished in two hours, nine minutes, and 51 seconds. I butchered that, didn't I? Yep. Go ahead. Caprudo. Caprudo? Okay. Uh, and then women's champion Diana. Here we go. Go ahead. Kipyogi? Kipyogi finished in two hours, 24 minutes, and 45 seconds, which is Jacob Resnick's 5K time. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Shout out to um, my former teammate, Sean McDonald. Uh, for running in his very first Boston Marathon. WNBA Finals is underway in the Chicago Sky. Lead that series one to nothing over the Phoenix Mercury. They played that game one yesterday as Kalea Cooper's double-double, 21 points and 10 rebounds to be exact, helped lead the Sky to the victory, hoping they can get their first ever WNBA Finals win. Mercury is looking for its fourth, and that tip-off for Game 2 will start this Wednesday at 9 p.m. J.R. Smith! Plays in his first college golf tournament. The former sixth man of the year recently celebrated getting a B on his midterm. And today took it out to Elon Phoenix Invitational. And Burlington, North Carolina, representing North Carolina A&T. Is that athletic and training? A&T? Something in Texas? Probably not. not. (laughs) What is is A&T? Agricultural and technology. Something. Okay. Well, North Carolina A&T. Smith shot 10. (laughs) (laughs) Smith. JR shot 10 over, uh, which was an 81 and hit the opening round of the tournament. Swish! Well, yeah, your knowledge on A&T was not as good as JR's uh, midterm grade. But anyway, (laughs) uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, can you believe it? Their last place in the AFC West. Their record fell to two and three. And the Raiders just lost their head coach. That tells you how bad the Chiefs are. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Last night after losing the AFC Championship rematch, to the Buffalo Bills, it was a 38 to 21 dominating game. Also, that game was delayed uh, at the uh, start of the second half as well. I'm not. It was a lightning. Sure lightning. Yeah, I think it was a lightning occurrence. But anyway, Mahomes not so magical in that loss. 272 passing yards, two touchdowns, and two interceptions. And while the Chiefs have three losses, everyone else, the Chargers, Broncos, and 
The Grudenless Raiders <laughs> have at least three wins in Homestead after the game. They have a lot of great players on this team, obviously, as we know. Kelsey, Hill, all dominant players. But he said, quote, it's a matter of coming together now and finding a way to do that. What an insane division that is. Texas A&M, unranked Texas A&M, defeats number one Alabama. Hey, what does A&M stand for? Shut up. They're <laughs> <laughs> not even going to try. Uh, they stunned them this week in taking them down. 41 to 38, so a one-score game there uh, on a game-winning field goal ended on uh, it ended a 19-game win streak for the Crimson Tide. Unfortunately, the result of that game led to a fatal shooting. Alabama officers found a 27-year-old man who had been shot several times outside his torso, tors- out uh, in his torso, later pronounced dead. Uh, last Sunday at 3:20 a.m. on Sunday, I shouldn't be laughing, but Jacob messed with the script as I was. I edited it for you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Eric wrote that in there. Anyway, go ahead. My apologies on the script writing, but here we go. Last news of Blitz for Six. Ben Simmons, that drama could be ending real soon. He's expected to come back to the Philadelphia 76ers as soon as this week. This is confirmed Monday today by Woj, the great Woj bomb on ESPN. Uh, Simmons was speaking to team officials or could be speaking to team officials soon. And that group has a talk since late August when he wanted to be traded in the first place. Now these trade talks still are ongoing, but... Obviously, Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers are still looking to help him keep around or keep them around with the Sixers long term. So we'll see how that kind of all plays out if you're a, a Sixers fan. Two big Philly NBA fan. heads in the booth right now, and I want to get, uh, before we before we uh, uh, disappear from the airwaves for a week, um, yeah, Jacob's got to get going to sports pause here, but uh, I want to get your thoughts on the new no foul calls on these three-point plays. I only briefly saw a couple clips of Russell Westbrook and... Steph Curry. Steph Curry, I guess. Um, good. Those are not basketball plays. <laughs> Clean it up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree. I think, you know, it, it's players at this point. At this point, like, you know, in the past, like, Paul Pierce would kind of, I feel like as Paul Pierce is kind of the trendsetter for that sort of foul, just like kind of looking for contact. Well, granted, you you do expect it that it's coming. I think these guys are, have kind of taken it to a level where it's like they know they're, they're trapped into possession. They're just going to be like, oh, I know I can draw a foul because this player is going to jump. No, I think you've got to find a different way to score. Like, this is kind of biased. The way I play is if I see a player jump big, rather than going into the shot and trying to get a foul call, like really putting my body into it, I'll fake and then pass it off to someone that just cut to the rim. I think it's definitely a way better way to play. It gets some more movements and more passing into the game and the flow. And, you know, I'm not saying everyone should adjust to the Eric Kerr style at all because I'm not in the NBA. But <laughs> uh, I think, you know, it's definitely a, a better way to, to play the game and make it, uh, you know, Less stoppage, less fouls, all that good stuff. Boys and girls, that's going to do it for this episode of the Mac and Main Show. If you miss any of our shows, you can find them on Spotify or iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Mac and Main. Go follow our boy Jacob underscore Resnick on Twitter. He does not have enough Twitter followers as it is. Um, if you want to know about the Mets, he's got you covered. For Jack Main, Eric Kerr, special guest Jacob Resnick, we promise to be better next week. You are listening to 98.1 WQAQ.